again, great to have you on MediaCamp. So nice yes. to chat with you, finally. I know, I'm so sorry about the last time. It's like ridiculous. Well, you'd you think know, the, I'd know how to do this by now. The more you get into trying to get a better experience for the video, for the audio, the more technical hoops we have to jump through, right? I was just interviewing for the podcast just two seconds ago, um, Jason LaCory from Seamount Industries, because he provided uh, like 30 camera kits to people for the Emmys. So he was managing all the remote feeds on the West Coast for the Emmys. And he was just telling me about his kit and how he did it. So it was pretty, pretty cool interview. That's, that's really interesting. What was, what was in the kit? He had a Blackmagic Pocket 6K, um, a laptop, just some shit like whatever off-brand ring light, a um, couple of Rode microphones, it, but everything was controlled, you know, because, right. oh, and then an A10 Mini. So he had the A10 Mini and the Blackmagic camera. So he was able to control all the functions of the camera. And it's just, it's incredible. Just doing that at that scale to do a live show, forget it. On Zoom, my God. He was doing it on Zoom? Yeah. Every feed was being sent through Zoom. He probably, does, he probably does like some OBS type of mixing and stuff like that, right? He didn't mention anything about OBS. Uh, he mentioned all, because he's changing all, he's adjusting his camera settings in the ATEM. So by the time he goes to Zoom, it's exactly how it's supposed to sound and look. And then they send it out. And the, once he sends out the feed, it's up to, you know, the director and the team that are managing the feeds to do what they want with it. But it's pretty crazy. That's a, that's a valuable skill set to have this year and maybe oh, yeah. even next year. Yeah. My God. Forever. There's always going to be a virtual component. Forever, forever, forever. We are, this is it. We're absolutely doing every event for, for the rest of eternity with a virtual component, for sure. So, so we spoke with you a little bit about that virtual production and how things have changed for you. You are running the BC Media Productions. And yeah. I would just, you probably did a lot of in-person events and a lot oh, yeah. of video shoots. How, what, what is your current setup for virtual production? What, what's the workflow look like? So my workflow now for virtual is I, we, we do it with iPhones and DSLRs. Um, but the iPhone one is just so much more popular because it's really easy. And that is what we've been getting the most of. So for the iPhone kit, we are sending out a tripod, an iPhone, a little bracket, you know, to hold the iPhone on it, a small light. I'm using the, I think it's called like an Aperture 90 or something like that. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. It's just this little LED. Um, it's like I'll, square, I'll get right? the name of it. It's a little square LED. It's RGB too. We send that for a microphone. We're still kind of experimenting with the microphone because the, SIFT, the software that we use, and I'll get to it in a moment, has an auto gain. So no matter what microphone you're using, it becomes kind of problematic if you're doing any sort of external microphone. But right now, the most recent kits, it's a Muki ML1, and it's a super cheap lav. So I have that, just like a lavalier microphone. <clears throat> I also have a Rode... Um, that little road, uh, that like little teeny one, the little teeny boom mic. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Um, video mic, I think it's called just the road. Video oh yeah. Mic. The basic one. Yes. Um, so we'll either send that or we'll send the lav or we'll just record internally on the phone and send like a zoom, um, H one and, um, and send that to record the sound. So the sound is a little bit like it's, we're not hundred percent sure what the best application is for sound, but you get the phone, which is an iPhone 11 tripod, light, 
microphone. Um, and we use the software OpenReel to mm -hmm. connect everything together. So with OpenReel, we're able to tap into the phone, control its shutter speed, control its ISO, control, I'm not, not shutter speed, I'm sorry. It's ISO, right. it's temperature, it's um, format, either HD, 4K or 720, depending on your camera, um, 24 or 30P. And it's amazing. It gives us the opportunity to see them directly through the phone. We can add participants on, so a director, an agency, whoever. We can have up to four feeds as well. So we can either send like two phones and get two different angles on people or have multiple people as part of the project. And you direct them the way you always have. Like nothing changes. It's all done. And the cool thing is, is that because the phone is recording internally and then you're uploading to OpenReel's cloud, you don't have to worry about their internet speed. Like it doesn't matter. Even if you have the worst connection in the world and what you're seeing during the session is all choppy and horrible, it doesn't matter because it's being recorded internally and you're going to get the full 4K file right after. Like it, it's amazing. And its simplicity is the reason why that's the kit that gets out the most. Although we do have a DSLR kit, but like no one is doing that. Um, because when it comes to that point, mm -hmm. they want a higher quality production. We're just sending single camera operators to locations and just one man bands. Cheaper probably or similar cost, right? It's like, you just get a better result. They're going to go there with a light, a microphone, their camera, tap into Zoom. We can direct them through Zoom. And you have the peace of mind knowing that a professional is there. So as long as the person that's on camera is comfortable with having, you know, an individual single mm -hmm. person coming into their home, that is the best way to do it that we found for the higher quality stuff. That's a great setup. That's a really, really good setup. I would assume the output would look virtually, well, it would be like pretty much like from a high-end mirrorless. You would, you would be very hard to tell, especially if you're watching it on YouTube, right? Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is what we've been doing now in post-production is we've been adding lens blur to the backgrounds uh, in After Effects using the Roto brush. And my God, what a difference that makes. It's, it's insane. Like we were, we're pulling some stills together and just showing it to potential clients. And it, the fact, like you're looking at it and you're pairing it up against DSLR shoot uh, shots. And you're like, this is really comparable. It really is comparable to DSLR shooting. Obviously the condition, like you have less leeway when you're working right. on an iPhone, like you got to have the perfect lighting to get the actual image you want. Um, but when all things are the same and everything's great on both ends, I mean, it's amazing what you can get from an iPhone. It's insane. That, A little bit of post-production, blur really out the cool. background, perfection. And who, Ben, who does normally, who would normally be taking these types of types of kits? Like who would you normally be working with that would require or look for this type of production? So, it's mostly corporate, like commercial work. We've just been doing traditionally the way we always have, except less people on set, more monitors. So people don't hover around one monitor and sending a feed to the client. Those are the big differences and obviously mm -hmm. masks and all that, but those are the big differences in our commercial work. But for corporate work, like a lot of businesses just still want to crank out interview videos. You know what I mean? Like some CEO has to say something or they're doing like, they want to upgrade their zoom events. You know, they would do like a Zoom panel and they want to do it with OpenReel to give it a higher quality. Um, we're seeing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, there's a, there's a gigantic need for interviews still. And companies are not really allowed to enforce, you know, not enforce, but companies are not allowed to 
you know, tell their employees to go to a studio or go to somebody's, uh, you know, house or have people come to their house. Like you really can't do that anymore um, during COVID-19. So it's like, right. if you want to interview these people, you can't tell them to go anywhere. So this is a great option to have them do it themselves. Yeah, the kit is such a great option. It's a small package. It doesn't cost you that much. And then it's a pretty easy to set up. You probably put it like on a small little tripod on the table and you're good to go. Yeah, actually, we were doing it with these little tripods here. Oh, we the were Joby. doing that, the Jobies. But we ended up upgrading to just getting a really small, super compact light stand with the little mini screw on the top. Oh, like, it's like in the middle thing. of a, it's like in the middle of, and then would it be like in the middle of a circle with a light? Oh, no, no, no. That would be no, not. No, no. We, we're just sending like, hold on. Give me one second. I'll, I'll, I'll bring one over. Sure. All right. So this is not, this is not the actual one because it's a little bit too short, but um, we send out these little tripods right? Uh, light stands rather, mm -hmm. little mini light stands. You, you usually use this size for like lighting green screens and stuff like right. that. It's teeny, teeny, tiny. The one we send goes um, up to four and a half feet. So it's like the perfect height because when someone's sitting down, you know, mm -hmm. it's perfect. So we yeah. give them that, that way they don't have to worry about having a table with them and blah, blah, blah. We can adjust the height better than the Joby. And um, that's what we've been sending. And they're small. So they still fit in little FedEx boxes. I love them. Um, That's great. That's a great yeah. setup. And the, you know, just a little, you know, phone clip or whatever with a, with a shoe mount on the top. It's a great kit. Yeah. It's a great setup. It really is. Now I want to talk about go creative show that you run because you've been doing yes. it for a, for a long time, 200 plus episodes. Like how yes. long have how, that took you? I mean, the, sh yeah, the show's been, so the show is called Go Creative Show. It's a podcast for filmmakers and we've been doing it for like seven years, I want to say. It's pretty nuts when you think about it, because when we started the podcast, it was at a time when people were interested if you had a podcast, because not everyone in the world had one. So it, it was sort of like, wow, you'd have a podcast. Now no one cares. But um, I think it's because we, because we did it for so long and started so early we built a lot of great relationships with, you know, high-end cinematographers and uh, word spread really fast because filmmaking is a small community. It really is. Um, even at the highest levels, it's a small community. So mm -hmm. after a year or so, you know, somebody knew somebody that knew the podcast or was on the podcast and it made it really easy for us to get guests. And now we're in a great situation because like agents come to us, they're like, oh, we mm -hmm. want to promote the new Fargo season. Can you take one of our cinematographers? We're like, yes. So we're, we're in a great situation now. Um, but it's, those relationships were built over many, many years. Of course. And, and how do you look at the promotion side, Ben? Do you, do you look at the promotion differently right now in terms of pushing video either on LinkedIn or on the website or on social media? Or it's more about... This is where it is. It's on all the directories and folks already know it because it's been there for so long. And that's how, that's how the episode gets in, in the hands of, of as many people as possible. I mean, no, you still have to promote for sure. In fact, the show was audio only for up until like a year ago, year and a half ago at most. So we're just now starting to do video for the podcast, which we were definitely late to the game for video early for audio, but late for video. And, um, 
you know, it's just, you really got to spread it across everywhere. Like you can't just rely on your podcast feed because a lot of people don't necessarily subscribe. Like they love the show. They'll go to the website and see it, or they'll go to YouTube and see it. Um, they don't feel the need to subscribe. So it's like, it's, you still have to provide it across all the different outlets. And, you know, for us, it's certainly Apple Podcasts, but also Spotify and iHeartRadio and Stitcher and Overcast and just everywhere. Hmm. What kind of, how did the interviews and conversations have changed over that many episodes that you did? Because I, my guess is you probably started with one concept in mind and then you, over time, you've, you've made some micro pivots of these are the types of folks we want to talk to. These are the type of conversations we want to pull. How did that change over time? Well, I think the biggest change was certainly the types of cameras people were using. Um, you know, I, at the beginning, I remember there was a big discussion about like, should we shoot film or video? Like that was, that was a huge thing. And now it's like, should we use a Venice or, you know, an, uh, an Alexa mini or whatever. So, um, I, I think that was one of the big changes, certainly led lighting, like people doing, using led lights on major motion pictures is now, and has been for a few years now. I mean, it, there's just no question. Like, there was a time when asking, do, were you using or were you mixing in, mixing in any LEDs on your set? There was a time where that question was relevant. Um, you know, we also saw a lot of conversations about HDR in the most recent years. Um, and uh, trying, to, trying to think of a few other, like it, it, it'll follow the trends, mm -hmm. whatever the camera trends, whatever the cinematography trends are, they usually become trends on a consumer level first, and then they'll trickle into Hollywood sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Um, but the, the trends will start at NAB, and then maybe make it to Cine Gear. <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of the way it goes. Right. I like your episode you did with, um, with Shelly Johnson about- uh, Oh, yeah. With, that was a great one. Like working with Tom Hanks, trying to wreck, like Giants, trying to find that feel for this world war on, on sea. That was a great one. Thank you. Yeah, that was a cool movie too. And um, kind of one of those COVID movies. It was supposed to be released, you know, in theaters and just didn't work out that way. Um, Greyhound with Tom Hanks. Um, yeah, that was, you know, that's a perfect example of like, what, what made that episode so fun is it's like, we had a very specific goal in mind. Like, how do you shoot battle scenes at sea? Like, how many movies can you actually talk about that, that does that? So, you know, I think what I'm trying to do with the show is certainly we want to cover the hottest movies and TV shows around, but we also want to be able to provide lessons to the audience because the reality is that people in the audience largely are you know, some of them are professionally working in the industry for sure, but a lot mm -hmm. of them are like me, you know, then, and you, it's like, we're, we're production people. We do work for clients, but we're not doing Hollywood films. So right. I want to be able to have lessons that these cinematographers learn on Hollywood sets apply to the go creative show audience. And, um, you know, that's what we're trying to do. And I hope, I hope we're achieving it. Oh, definitely. How do you feel like, do you like, do you do emphasize the relationship with actors in, in some of the conversations that you have, or that will be more of a sec, sort of a secondary thought? Yeah, so we haven't had any actors on the show talking about you know, their craft, but we do talk a lot about the role of crew and how they interact with actors. Because you sp certainly with directors, when we've had directors on, they talk a lot about their interaction with actors. Um, and I think that's just so important. Like, yeah, sure, we'd love to have A-list actors on the show, but 
if they're a little busy and <laughs> have plenty of requests to be on. And honestly, I feel like my interests are more behind the camera anyway. So when we do have discussions about actors, it's about how the particular guest is working with them. And um, you know, we've done that. We've done that a few times on the show. Right. Talk to me about, I think I've saw one of your posts. Um, I don't remember what platform it was, but you talked about, it might've been LinkedIn. You talked about brushing up your video communication skills, just getting better communicated on video. How do you do that? Or maybe a better question is like, what are some of the ways you could go about that in a, in a more conscious way, instead of just like putting up videos that nobody watches? How to, how to best communicate through video? Yeah, like how do you get better at that skill, like improve over time and just be, just get get uh, to a certain level that people are like really start engaging with? Well, with my production company, BC Media Productions, our mantra is story first. Like that is what we are all about. And we help businesses and ad agencies every day. I mean, this is what we do is we help them communicate their messages through video. So, you know, that the same, the same um, lessons or, or, or the same like guidance that we give them for their clients would be the same lessons I'd give to really anybody is it's figure out your story first. What is it that you are trying to say? What's important to you? What's the point of this video? Um, oftentimes you'll find that your video will be shorter and more concise when you do that, um, more engaging when you do that. And sometimes you may end up not doing anything at all because you'll realize, you know what, I really don't have anything to say right now. So maybe I'll wait. Um, but again, I'm always coming from the framework of like advertising and marketing because that's what BC Media Productions does. We'll, we'll make videos that are made for viewer engagement. It's made for people to buy something. It's made for people to learn something. So I always am thinking in those terms. But there's a whole other wave of storytelling in social media, especially where people are just kind of freeform, just thinking and yapping and talking and Instagram stories and just kind of out there doing their thing. And that can be incredibly engaging as well. So I think my guidance as craft your story first is more for when you have a really specific message you want to get out there. And how do you, like you, with your clients, you would still help them to like to, to shape the story, right? To trim it down, oh, yeah. make it a little bit more, more engaging. That's like a hundred percent of what we do. Honestly, like that is the biggest part of what we do because anyone can shoot a video. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much great talent in Boston and that's just Boston. I mean, you go out to all the big cities and, and yeah. even beyond the cities, there's so much good talent out there. Great visual storytellers all over the place. I think what keeps our clients coming back to BC Media Production is, is that like, we won't just go and make a video just to do it. Um, we we want to make sure that the first thing we do is figure out what your story is going to be. So it's like, who is the audience? What are they like? Like, who are they? What, what do you need to tell them? Do they want to know those things? Do they care? Um, really identifying, first of all, who's receiving the message and what message are they receiving and hashing that out with these clients. It's, it's a struggle sometimes. It's a, it's a struggle. Try making your own website. That is like the hardest thing in the world oh, is yeah. to make your own website because you, it's nearly impossible to be able to actually figure out what you're all about and what you want to tell people you're all about. It's impossible. And that's what we're dealing with. It doesn't matter how big the company is. 
they're always going to have a challenge and a struggle being able to articulate their messages. That's why there's ad agencies. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist, you know? So it's like we help our clients figure out what they need to say and who they need to say it to. And then once we figure that out, then we will find a way to craft a video that makes sense to tell that story. Um, sometimes it's not a video at all. There has definitely been times where we've talked with clients, we've gone down the path with them, and we realized you really don't need a video. And I mean, yeah, you might be selling yourself short and not getting a video job, but it's like, I think there's some respect there if you're just honest with them and be like, I don't know if video is the right vehicle to tell your story. I think maybe a podcast is better or maybe a blog is better. I don't know. Um, so that, that's really where it comes from. It's it, right. How do you, how do you determine that Ben? Like when, when somebody comes like a potential client comes to you and you say, you know what, maybe we can do a video, but I just don't feel like that would be the right medium. Like, what do you, what do you look for to say, yeah, we probably are not the right fit at this time. So a perfect example of this is, and I really wish I could remember the woman's company and I can't, and I feel bad, but that's okay. She wanted to be, she wanted to start a, she wanted to start a business that was a combination of um, like physical therapy, nutrition, and, um, and like, well, I guess physical therapy, exercise and physical therapy, are the same kind of thing, but it, it was a mm -hmm. mix. It was like healthy living, but through nutrition and through exercise. And she really thought that what she wanted was a video series. And when we started talking to her, we realized that like, yeah, that could be super valuable, but the videos weren't like, we were thinking the goal of the video is to drive them somewhere. Like, what do you want the videos to do is what we asked her. And she's like, well, I want to help people train and get healthier and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, yeah, but the video can only do so much. So what is ultimately the goal of this video? And we discovered that the goal was she wanted people to go to her website and sign up for her program. So we were like, okay, well, the site, the website is really not anything that people want to go to. Like the site needed a lot of work. And we kind of talked with her and we're like, listen, you're going to waste a lot of money creating videos, driving people to something that really isn't ready. So our suggestion is to get your website up and running first. Like you've got to do that. You have to have a place for people to go once you get their attention. And that's what she did. You know, she took her money, she made a website and, um, you know, we still communicate and I'm hoping that someday she decides to do a video series again, but I think it was the right move because yeah, we could have made like 10 little training videos, but for what? Like, who cares? She, it wasn't going to get the type of engagement she wanted. And then she would have just felt like she spent a ton of money and didn't get anything out of it. So, you know, the website was the better choice for her. And it's like killing me. I can't remember. I wish I could mm -hmm. plug you. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's like the landing page comes first, right? And then you can make an ad potentially. But then you also want to consider like if they're, if she, her brand is not known, then you got to spend a ton of money to distribute those videos. Cause even if you make a good video, nobody's going to see it. They will have like five views on YouTube. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> which is, which is definitely, definitely a big challenge. What about, so what's your role Ben in, in this whole production process? You get a new client, you mm -hmm. come up with a story. What would be your part that you, you would be driving? So, I think I probably, I mean, we don't run like a traditional ad agency or even production company because we're so small. It's like three people. So I would say 
I probably operate most like a creative director because I am sort of the final say on all creative that gets sent out through BC Media Productions. Um, there are many projects where I am deeply, intimately involved. I'm directing it. I'm storyboarding it. I'm, you know, right there on set working with the talent, going to castings and all that stuff. And there, there are other projects like right this moment, as we speak, there's a project being shot in um, San Francisco. I'm not there at all. Like, but I'm, I'm, still very much a part of that project because the creative direction and the idea development and the client communication, all of that came through me and my partner, um, Maria. So it's like the, the, I'm involved at all levels um, for some projects and for some, I'm just the creative director. Um, you know, I think where, what I like to do the most I really like kind of being right in the weeds. I like to be on set. I like to be directing. I like to be producing, which I'm doing quite a bit too, working with other directors. And I'm really enjoying that as of late. Um, so I'm involved in a whole bunch of different, I used to do a lot of editing and I don't edit so much anymore, which is kind of a bummer because I like it, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time, I was just gonna yes, say. it does. And I hate that I'm not honing my skills and editing as much as I used to it. It's a bummer, but it is what it is. Um, but over the years, I've developed a really great team of producers, directors, cinematographers, audio techs, you know, editors. And you know, as any good leader really should do is you have to rely on your talent and give them guidance, but you know, expect them to perform. How do you rate or what do you rate number two after in the importance of the video project after the story? Story is obviously the most important thing. You got that. What would be yep. the second thing? Would that be obviously not the B-roll? I'm, I'm sure it's not that, but like, what would be the thing that is really important? You're like, so, yeah, you know what, you should get that, get that. Yeah, you got to assemble the right team. You have to get the right team. You got to get the right cinematographer. You got to get the right director if I'm not the one directing it. Um, assemble your team to the project, you know? Um, I love using the same people all the time. I love the shorthand we have, but there are definitely times where you need somebody that is you know, particularly expert in the product you're trying to put out there. Um, so you got to assemble your team. And then after that, whatever is in front of the camera, whether it's actors or a product or an animal, every moment, like every decision you make has to be to how do you get that thing to perform the best on camera? What, what does that thing need? Does it need wardrobe? You better hire a wardrobe person. Does it need makeup? You better have a makeup artist on set. Every decision is how is the thing in front of the camera going to shine? Um, that's the most important thing. Hmm. And I noticed that like you work with small fi uh, film filmmakers, cinematographers, and the, a big skill set for them is to is actually to figure out how to motivate, like you said, the right the person who's on set, right? To say, hey, you know, this is this is try this in this way, say this line in this way, like. That's, that's definitely a huge skill, right? It, you mean to direct the, the, the talent? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, it's like, it, it's directing the talent. It's like, how do you get the best out of talent? Like, oh. how, do you, how do you talk to them uh, the right way, position them the right way? Because it's like that communication, I think is such a big factor. I think there's two different things. If you're working with trained actors that really know what they're doing, you, kinda, you can talk to them differently. Um, they understand some of the lingo more. They kind of get what's going on. Their expectations are there. Like, like a trained actor won't be all, you know, mad at themselves if they flub a take. 
because um, they understand the process. And you can talk to them differently. You know, you can say things like make it brighter or just, you know, just little things that you can, you can speak to an actor about and they'll understand. Right. Um, so when I'm working with trained actors, I make sure that they understand who their characters are. That's the big thing. And sometimes even if it's just a spokesperson or even if they're just supposed to be playing themselves, it's not, not, not like any real character development. You, they still need to understand why they're there, how they got there and how do they feel at this moment. So you want to talk about those things. Like no matter what you're doing, even if you're hosting and holding up a, tooth, a tube of toothpaste, you still, there's a reason why that person is there and saying those things. And I, I always want to work with the actors on figuring out why they're there and why they're saying what they're saying. Um, so that's really important. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's overlooked in commercial work because a lot of times people are like, oh, we just need a spokesperson to just read a teleprompter. I try to avoid that way of thinking because I want to position the actor in a way where, I want to set them up for success mm -hmm. in a way where, yeah, you're, you're reading a teleprompter, you are a host, but you still are a person in this world that we're creating. And what, who are you and why are you there? So I try to do right? that. You got to develop a personality that way and have it make sense for the project. So I try to think of those things. Now, when I'm working with untrained talent, which happens a lot too, um, it's a totally different way of doing it. You, you need to make sure that your untrained talent understands that they can make mistakes it's fine. You have to let them know that you are not in a rush. Even if you are, if there's five minutes left and you've got to go, you do not let them ever feel that ever. It's always right. like, you've got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. So I'll slow down the way I talk. I'll keep them relaxed. Try to throw in jokes when I can try to keep it light, try to keep it fun and let them know they're doing an amazing job regardless of it's, if it's an amazing job or not. It's <laughs> just, I always keep them going because they're not gonna perform unless they're comfortable and you gotta make them comfortable. One tip though, for you guys out mm -hmm. there, whenever somebody says to you, oh, don't worry about it. I, I speak in front of live audiences all the time. I'll be fine. <laughs> it is the kiss of death. The, I will take someone that says, you know what? I'm really nervous about doing this. I'll take them any day of the week because they have no expectation of success. They have no idea what a good performance is. And they're gonna give you authenticity. When you have somebody that talks in front of an audience professionally, they give you a giant performance. They expect immediate reactions from an audience that isn't there. They don't understand that the camera is just, it's just a little small. It's like you're talking to one person. You don't need to make it big and huge. They don't understand those things. So when they, when they run their first line and they realize they're not getting an applause, nobody cares and it's way too big, they immediately feel discouraged. And I've seen this hundreds of times. So just as a tip, you know, how to, how to turn that into a lesson. If you're working with talent that does this all the time, you have to tell them right off the bat, that's great. I'm glad you have live speaking experience, but talking to a camera is not talking to an audience. It's a totally different skill. So why don't you take your lines and talk to just you know, your husband, your wife, your friend, just read the lines to one person. Don't read it to yourself in a mirror, actually talk to a person in the tone and the volume mm -hmm. and the performance that you give that one person. That's what you need to give camera. And um, th I think that's what you should say to prep these people. That's a great point. I've heard that before where folks who do like, they do like Broadway shows or they're doing a the theatrical performances, they don't really 
sometimes they're just not a fit for the movie because like in the movie you're in, in a small set of people and you're like nobody really cares they're like we got to get the job done we got to move on just say your three lines and it's it's different right different dynamic different uh, chemistry completely yeah i think i'd be horrible in front of the camera it's terrible i'm too, i'm just i give it too much it's too much it's like ah uh, enough already anytime There's i see myself on camera i'm like you, it's too big <laughs> stop it there's this there's this uh I think I've watched on YouTube. It was about the, yeah, it was, I think it was a scripting or like, how do you write a script? How do you write a screenplay for the movie? And there was, uh, I forgot who said it, but they said, if people spoke in real life, the same way they speak in movies, they will be psychopaths. Cause like the lines are so short, nobody speaks this way. Yeah. Yep. I love that. I think that's a great way. That's a great way to think about it. I'm rewatching Sopranos right now. And oh my God, the writing in that show. Are you kidding me? And when you think, and it's weird because when you're watching it, you don't, really, you don't really notice the writing. You're like, I mean, you notice the writing when you're watching because it's great, but it's just people talking. And when you actually think of the line and think about it written on a sheet of paper, you're like, who would write that line in a script? But it's perfection because they were able to write the way people talk. Those people are insane. They're like the way that they write it. It's just, it's such an art. It's like the ultimate, ultimate level of copywriting. Yeah. It, it's just, it's amazing. I can't think of a single example right now, but there's just moments where they'll say something. It's just a, a fleeting line that means nothing that you would never in a million years think to write in a script, but adds so much value and helps develop characters. It's unbelievable. I wish I was a good writer. It's, it's such a talent. It's such a huge talent. It's like Quentin Tarantino. You look at his like s sort of story and, and where he, his main talent comes in and it's like developing that story. It's like mm -hmm. he's, yeah, he's good with a lot of things with color, with directing, but like the main, the main, the main thing is he, he writes an killer script or screenplay and knows how to work with actors. And then yeah. other incredibly smart people are able to, to do other stuff that he's able to DJ, but there's like this core, uh, core principle that he has or core competency. Oh yeah. I mean, you're talking about the masters there. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it, it's, it, there's, it, he's just at a different level. <laughs> it's oh, a yeah. different level. Oh. And even if you can't stand his movies or you think they're too long and boring, it doesn't matter. It's like, you can still appreciate the craft. Oh my God. It's super, super, super cool. Ben, let me ask you this. What is the one thing about filmmaking or about creating videos that people don't ask you, but you wish they did? The one thing about creating videos, they don't ask me. Um, it's just, I purposely make it broader. So maybe you have something where, you know, you speak on Go Creative Show, you speak to your colleagues, you speak to your potential clients. And that key thing that is important, it's just not being asked, or maybe it's not, shows up later. So the importance of having good food on set is way beyond what people think. Like you have to have good food on set, put money into it, like build up your craft services budget. You just have to do it. I mean, right now it sucks because during COVID you can't like linger around a craft table and whatever. But when we go back to normal times, make it a point to have really good food. It makes a huge difference. And the other thing I would say is uh, if you're doing, when you're doing commercial work, your job as a director is so much more than just directing the talent. Like the agency plays a giant role in creative when you're making commercials. So unless you're like a name director and you get anything you want, just like a, a regular old director like me, um, you're, the agency has so much more control than you think. And you may, you may book yourself on a commercial and realize pretty quickly that it's your vision kind of, 
but it's really theirs. And your, your role as a director is making sure that their vision, you know, you push their vision as, pull that vision as close to yours as you can and implement it. But you are there to make everything go off without a hitch really well. Um, it isn't necessarily like your hill to die on. It, it may not be this creative feat that you think it is. It's more keeping everybody happy and making someone else's idea come to fruition. So that, I think that's probably the biggest shock people have when they, when they jump into commercial directing for um, agencies. What about, uh, what about advice to, uh, to people who, what should they stop doing if they're making movies, making films, um, or just shooting their, like even the YouTube content, um, and you can take, take experience from, from, uh, from, from commercial work, what should they stop doing that they are doing right now? Maybe they're wasting too much time on something that's not important. Um, hmm. what should they stop doing? Well, I'm trying to think of what they would be doing. Um, um I mean, I, like what I've heard a lot, for example, for yeah, a like, lot of YouTube. Yeah, give me an example of an answer yeah. and it might spark something. So for example, I've heard a lot of YouTubers, they would be making this beautiful 60 frames per second, 4K B-roll that completely is not aligned to the story. Like it's, it's mm. so nice. It's a, it's, it comes from a drone. It's, it's very, very cool. But like, if it's not there, nothing changes. The, the reaction of the viewer is not, it's the same. Like it doesn't, yeah. doesn't play into the, it doesn't really care. Like it doesn't really highlight the character. Well, I think maybe, I don't know if this is, well, okay. I'm trying to frame it in a stop doing. So I would say, stop only thinking about your craft. Like if you're a cinematographer, don't just only think as a cinematographer, think as a producer, think as an editor, think as a director. It's going to make you a lot more skillful in what you actually hand, you know, the footage you hand off to those people. And the same for like a director, like don't, don't box yourself in and just say, this is how a director thinks. This is what a director does. Put yourself in the shoes of the cinematographer and the editor and everybody along the line, because when you understand what everyone else is doing, it'll make what you're doing that much better. So, you know, maybe you don't need a drone for this project. Maybe you can you know, figure out a way to get other shots that fit the concept better. Or maybe you just think more about the concept. You know, that might be a good tip for the cinematographer. Instead of just going out there and spending three days on B-roll, talk to the director and be like, all right, what do we actually need in making those shots the best possible? Um, who knows though? Because sometimes it's just fun to go grab a whole bunch of unnecessary <laughs> B-roll. I've done oh that God. for sure too. It is fun. I really so think we need, there's definitely been times where like, we're doing a project and we totally don't need, you know, a certain <laughs> shot. Like we, we definitely don't need an Alexa mini on something, or we don't need anamorphic lenses. And I'm like, you know what would make this really good? <laughs> just, just because I want to try it. <laughs> it's so true. You get obsessed with the gear. You're obsessed you with like do. the look. Oh my God. You really do. It's, it happens to all of us. It really does. <laughs> to, to the best of us, of course. Yes. Ben, wh where's everybody can find you online? So you can find all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And BC Media Productions is bcmediaproductions with an S.com. So check those things out. And one thing that I'm really excited about for what's coming up next is we are really trying to make Go Creative Show lives. We want to do live streaming, which I'm sure anybody on YouTube watching this is like, yeah, we've been doing that for years. But I'm trying to do it with call in. I don't just want to chat. I want people, I want people to have the ability to call in. So we're in the process of turning this back here into a studio. 
my editor used to be back there, but he's working mm -hmm. virtually now. So I took over his space. It's going to be like when you go to college and then come back home and your room has turned into a gym <laughs> or an office. Um, yeah. So we're in the process of developing Go Creative Show Lives because I really want to engage the YouTube audience more and have call-in shows where, you know, v uh, listeners can actually like be on the show for real. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. So I'm in the process now of gathering my equipment. Ben, are you posting about it anywhere? So like the audience can, can follow. I would love to actually see like the progress. Like how are you, how are you testing the equipment or are you documenting it anywhere? So we're not really documenting it, which we should. You're right. Um, my office is complete. It looks like a bomb went off in here. This stuff everywhere. So maybe I'll take, maybe I'll start today. I'll start taking some photos and just show the progress. That, That's a that good would be idea. Cool. That's that would a be good cool. idea. I would love to see it. You were describing it and I'm like, I'd love to do YouTube live. I have no idea how to do it in the way that you just described. And I'm, and I don't think a lot of people doing it. Like, yeah. so I'm like, I'd love to see it. Yeah. I'm just like spending, I'm, I'm on the, on an elliptical looking at YouTube videos of people's home setups. And I'm like, I can't believe how much time I'm spending on this thing. I'm becoming <laughs> obsessed. I'm becoming obsessed. We need, we need, we need to see, we need to see that. But Ben, it was <laughs> so great, great to have you. It was, it was really awesome. It was really awesome to catch up and, and chat with you. It was so much fun. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much for having me on and allowing and, me to uh, speak to your audience. Absolutely. And we'll link all the things you, uh, you mentioned in the show notes so everybody can go check it out, the work you're doing, your podcast, and hopefully that blog uh, slash vlog comes out and uh, we, find, we, we see behind the scenes what it takes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, behind the scenes. You really want to see behind the scenes. This is this looks clean right now, and you have no idea what's right beyond the borders of this uh, of this frame. <laughs> well, you're, you're you're probably you're you're using like 1.4 lens or something like that, uh, or I, I have a 50 f2 uh, right now, but I'm trying to. I'm I really want. Oh, right now, what I'm using? Yeah. Oh no, this is an f4. Oh, this, this is, is a the, four. Yeah. Well, from here to there is quite a bit amount of space, but when where I actually want to shoot, I'm a little bit closer to the wall, so I have to be more wide open. But no, this is the Sony, um, this is that G-series lens. It's oh, really? The, um, 24 to 105 on the a Oh, really? You have like the, it, oh, that's the kit. The kit I lens. know. It, it looks, well, it's not the kit ones because it's the G-series, but it's the same focal length, but it's just kind of like the next. It's better, the better one. It, yeah, it's the next evolution of that kit lens, but I, I love it. It looks really good and it's an It F4. looks very good. It looks I'm very good. I'm on ISO 2000 right now, but that camera oh, wow. can handle it. Oh yeah, and it's pretty old. It's 2016, I think. The the camera? The S2, the S2, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's old. Although I did just put my order in for the A7S3, so I cannot it's phenomenal. wait. It's phenomenal. I mean, if I if I had a lot of Sony lenses, I would get that for sure. This is like the best camera by far today. There's nothing even comes close. Nobody can touch that thing. I can't wait. I'm holding my. I'm. I'm fingers crossed that all the support and love we have for the Sony Venice and the Sony world with the DPs that come on, that they maybe will put my name to the, to the top of the <laughs> list to get that camera early. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But it's interesting, though, because like you look at like what they are able to do from a technical perspective is insane. 120 frames per second, over an hour recording in one go. Like who does that? Nobody. Nobody. Like in that package. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so psyched about it. Like, I didn't even dig into the specs too much because I knew right away. I'm like, that's the camera I'm getting. Sight unseen, it's happening. I'm a huge news shooter fan and mm -hmm. I look at their website all the time. They're, they're amazing over there. Their, you know, cinematography journalism, if you will, is incredible. So like just reading up on, on their thoughts on it, Philip Bloom's, Philip Bloom's reviews and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, I have to have it. I have to have that <laughs> camera. It's gonna happen. That? 
as a as a tech geek, I totally understand. <laughs> yes. I know. Those are the types of cameras I buy for myself. I, I won't go into like an FX9 or anything like that. I, I just don't oh. need it because I'm not really a cinematographer per se. I do shoot quite a bit, but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do something for real for real, I'm hiring a DP. But I love having a little like B cam kit or yeah. Yeah. You know, like second unit kit. I love that. Well, with FX9, you'll need to uh, double down on your gym workouts for sure. <laughs> yes, and I don't want to do that. I like to eat. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like all of us. <laughs>